It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Mega Luna was a friend of mine. I used to see her all the time as the sun would fade away. Luna came to play. Everybody said you better watch out Love will hurt you, yeah, there's no doubt Guess they just could not see The things she does for me She's always there on my darkest nights And all the others said got no time Make a lunar forever I will be If you should fall, I give you my own. Nights go by and there's no trace. I think I'm never gonna see her face again. She proves me wrong. She's been here all along. What was I thinking to doubt true love? Far beyond the stars above, I hope you can forgive me. Cause I cannot forget that you were there on my darkest nights. All the others said, got no time. Make a lunar forever, I will be. Should fall, I give you my all. And nothing lasts forever, so that's what they say. But I must beg to differ with the words of yesterday. Cause you and I will always be. One place some may never see Megaluna Darkest nights 
All the others ain't got no time Make a Luna forever I will be There if you should fall I give you my I used to see her all the time as the sun would fade away Now Luna's here to stay Old-fashioned radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to be uh, joined by... Let me see if I got this right. Um, oh, this is a fascinating conversation with uh, Chester Johnson in, um, in, the, that's, uh, in the third hour. And, and that's an encore. Um, but we have uh, brand new interviews coming up in the middle, the second hour of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with uh, co-authors Jenna Chandler-Ward and Elizabeth Denevy, or Denevy, I think. I think that's how you pronounce it, but she'll, she'll put me straight. They've written a uh, fascinating book called Learning and Teaching While White, Anti-Racist Strategies for School Communities. Uh, very interesting conversation, to be sure. But we're going to start out with um, something, uh, well, we're going to be talking vampires. And uh, I know we got quite a ways to go before Halloween, but um, we're going to talk with a uh, New York Times number one uh, best-selling author, Melissa Delacruz. And uh, she's been on the show before, and this is... Um, the uh, reboot of, of her Blue Blood series, which was uh, hugely successful. A new book called Afterlife, and uh, we're going to talk about that. Her husband was on the show here just a few weeks or months ago. Michael Johnston, they wrote um, Heart, the Heart of Dread series together, but they usually write independently, and... Uh, and we talk about that a little bit. Um, anyway, uh, Melissa will be with me to talk about the um, Afterlife book, which is an all-new novel within the Blue Bloods universe, and uh, talk a little bit about 
TV production and so on and so forth. I want to check something out here about what's coming up in uh, in hour three. I can't. For some reason, I'm. Uh, I, I, it's just slipped my mind what Chester and I are talking about coming up in just a little bit. Oh, the Elaine Massacre, of course. Fascinating bit of history that uh, that was new to me and, and may, might be new to you as well. So I hope you'll uh, stay with us to the bitter end when we uh, get a chance to talk with Chester about his book about the Elaine Massacre. That interview re originally took place in 2020. Um, but the other two are brand new interviews and uh, we're kicking off the week with some good stuff and I might even have a little announcement coming up uh, later in the show or maybe later this week, but stay tuned. <laughs> And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my uh, guest this hour has been on the show before. She's a number one New York Times bestselling author. Her uh, newest book is, uh, I think, is it the eighth book or ninth book in the uh, Blue Blood series? But she'll she'll fill us in on all the details of what's going on with her book, Afterlife. Um, Melissa Dela Cruz is her name, and she joins me by phone. Good morning, Melissa. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me back, Tom. It's great to be here. It's it's great to have you back. Now, I'm going to ask you, and, and I think I already know the answer to this, but I had your husband, uh, Michael Johnston, on the show a few weeks ago, and I told him to tell you hello for me, and I, I just want to check and make sure he followed up on that. Yes, he did. He said, Tom said hello, and hopefully one day both of us can be on the show together. Yeah, that would be so. fun. <laughs> you two, um, you you sort of trade notes on each other's work, and you, you did a series together, Heart, the Heart of Dread series. Yes, we, uh, we work together on Heart, Heart of Dread, but we always do trade notes and help each other with our books. Um, and uh, it's fun. It's fun having another writer in the house. You know, we're always talking about plot and character and, you know, kind of help each other when we get stuck. And we joke that our 15-year-old daughter is the studio head because she's always the one who says, no, that doesn't work. Or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> she never gives us the green light. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> with, the, uh, with the new book, now, I've had a couple of different notes sent to me about it. One says it's the eighth and final book. One says it's not the final book. Is it part of the Blue Bloods series? And where does it fit in the series? Because it sounds like it might be kind of a standalone. It is actually um, a reboot of the Blue Blood series. So Ooh. it's not the eighth and final book. It's kind of the start of a new uh, Blue Bloods universe. So uh, my series did end a couple of years ago and concluded with book seven. And then I missed my characters and I wanted to write about them again, but I didn't want to write about their kids. I didn't want to write, you know, uh, another sequel. You're not doing the next generation? You know, I did one. Uh, I did one spinoff already called Vampires of Manhattan, which has the characters <laughs> older uh, and so, you know, I kind of felt like I'd done a lot of that already, 
And I just wanted to go back and have them be teenagers again. So in this uh, book, uh, they wake up and it's 2020 and they're in the pandemic <laughs> and they're teenagers again. So uh, they have to figure out what's going on and maybe the vampires are behind uh, behind the pandemic. <laughs> now, now, what is the connection between the Blue Bloods and the Mayflower? So in my uh, mythology, uh, Blue Bloods vampires came over on the Mayflower. So, you know, our uh, term blue bloods, you know, which kind of means like the American elite, you know, they're the literal uh, blue-blooded vampires (laughs) in my book. (laughs) So it's a little bit of a play on words, but uh, it's got kind of a fun, you know, kind of double meaning. Yeah. Are there there American (laughs) vampires that are not blue bloods? Uh, I, mm, no, I think, uh, in my mythology, all vampires are, are called blue bloods. And then the evil vampires... Because that, because the Mayflower is what brought them over. Yes, exactly. Okay. Now, of course, they, (laughs) they live forever, right? They do. They're immortal, but they reincarnate. So they, uh, they kind of come back in different bodies. It's a different vampire mythology because they're also fallen angels. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. That's part of the title of uh, Afterlife, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, uh, you know, it's it, it's a it's a good title for that book, and we were trying to figure out the title for the new uh, the new Blue Bloods book, and it just makes so much sense because you know it is a alternate life, alternate universe. You know, they've already defeated Lucifer in one universe, but now they wake up in this new universe, and he's the mayor of New York. <laughs> that's that's right. I had read about that, and, and what a cool thing. I mean, there there are outcomes from the Blue Bloods series that have been undone in this reincarnation or, or this um, reimagining. Well, no, they, they wake up in a different universe almost like a um alternate universe like uh i don't know like like you're gonna mess up my mind with string theory melissa (laughs) yes uh yeah no it's kind of a fun it's a fun play into the multiverse you know the thought that there's lots of different versions of ourselves out there having you know different lives based on our choices and what's happened so yeah so I thought it'd be kind of fun to do it that way. I could still have my characters, uh, the the teenagers that they were, you know, at twenty years ago when I first wrote the books. <laughs> well, and also you can bring back some characters that you previously killed off. <laughs> exactly, that's always fun. I, I don't or want kill off new ones. <laughs> I don't want to do any spoiler alerts, but you know that's. <laughs> but that's one of the things that that makes this treatment cool because they they wake up in a different reality absolutely i thought it was really fun it was uh it was fun to write and fun to you know give them a problem again you know lucifer's back he's in power you defeated him once can you do it again more with New York Times best-selling author Melissa Delacruz straight Hello out. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with New York Times bestselling author Melissa Delacruz straight ahead. Are these vampires immune to uh, the COVID? Uh, I would hope so. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem right to be a vampire and still get COVID. <laughs> Although COVID is not named uh, in, in the book. It's just kind of a generic pandemic. <laughs> but but you do factor in a pandemic and have that as part of the environment they're in. Oh, absolutely. And the kids, you know, go to Zoom school and they have to wear masks. And uh, I have a bunch of teen readers that were reading the book uh, in development while I was still writing it, and they loved that part. They loved that the books were showing the lives that they were leading uh, currently. And uh, it was a really interesting reaction because my adult readers, my grown-up readers, uh, did not like anything to do with the pandemic in fiction. They wanted it to be a total escape. And they said it was such a bummer <laughs> to have the pandemic as part of it. But all the teens loved it. They thought it was great. So, you know, and I write for teenagers. So I kept it in for sure. And to them, it's their reality. It it, it wasn't, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't something that, that changed their lives. It was their lives. Exactly. And we've been living in it now for two and a half years. Um, you know, I live in Los Angeles and the kids are still masked, you know, at, you know, playing basketball or volleyball. Um, and so in a way, you know, they're used to it. And that's the reality of where, you know, they're growing up. So, And my daughter was in Zoom school for a year and a half. Um, and it was hard. It was hard on everybody. Was... Uh, you know, that's something I hadn't even thought about because you and your husband, Michael, you work at home and mm-hmm. and always have, so that wouldn't have changed. But it would be different having kids at home going to school by Zoom. Was that a little tougher to work around the house with Well, she, you know, she's in high school, so it was, it, you know, it's not, we didn't have a little, you know, first okay. grader my my friends with little kids have, have definitely had a very hard time. But, you know, our, our daughter was old enough that she could, you know, log on herself and do everything. Uh, yeah, we joked that the pandemic was so easy for us because we worked at home anyway. So there was literally no change I had <laughs> except kind of, for the fact. <laughs> I had kind of the same thing, Melissa. I, you know, in January of 2020, I closed down my studio and I moved all the gear home and set up a studio at home for the convenience and as a cost-cutting measure. And And then six weeks later, everybody everywhere is working from home and i'm thinking this is real interesting because i was doing what i was going to be doing anyway and i didn't feel put out like some people were yes no i mean especially you know as writers who work from home get everything delivered (laughs) it it was kind of funny it was like welcome to our life (laughs) this is what our life is like (laughs) but having your daughter home uh, you know going to school on Zoom wasn't like what some people had to go through with with homeschooling and all that. Yeah, no, that was tough. That was tough to see the kids, you know, um, 
suffer through that because it's really hard to learn on Zoom, you know. Um, I think she joked that she just doesn't understand geometry. She did a whole year of geometry on Zoom, and it, it was just hard to retain that information. Uh, well, get her a billiards table. <laughs> <She'll figure laughs> there you go. There that's you go. that's that's the only way geometry ever made any sense to me, Melissa. Um, yeah. Well, let's 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 get back to Blue Bloods here. You you did the first series with seven books. Now, Afterlife launches basically a new Blue Bloods series. Um, do, yeah. do you have any sense for how many books uh, there will be in this in this series? Uh, well, right now there there are definitely going to be two, um, and the story kind of comes to a good conclusion uh, in book two. Uh, so definitely two. I'm not sure if there'll be more. Uh, I'm sure if the books do well, uh, you know, my publisher might ask for more. Uh, and then I'd have to think about uh, how much of the story I still have to tell, and if there is any part of the story I can still, uh, you know, write. Um, because it, you know, at, at some point, you know, stories do conclude, uh, and it's all about getting a new idea for the characters, and you know, a new a new plot. So, um, so right now, definitely two <laughs> is the answer. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I, I, I find myself whenever somebody says well, all I got to do is come up with an idea it's like all of a sudden I go into like brainstorming mode <laughs> but um, but it probably wouldn't make any sense to have Blue Bloods uh, you know bringing relatives over from <laughs> bringing a whole new batch of characters over well, you know, it just depends on how inspired I am and what, what makes sense with the story. Um, I definitely have a lot of affection for my characters, uh, and I like writing about them. But, you know, at some point it's whether, you know, continuing their story is something that I'm interested in. If I can make it interesting to me, I can make it interesting for other people. But, uh, yeah, it, it just depends. Um, and mostly it really depends on whether people buy the books. <laughs> That's, you know, well, I mean, course. I could have, I've plotted out series, you know, and then publishers cancel them and only one book will have been published and I will get, you know, readers, uh, emailing me, what happened? Why did you stop writing it? I was like, well, I didn't stop writing it. My publisher stopped publishing them. <laughs> yeah. Um, how much does your experience with immigration affect the stories that you tell and like to tell? I think somebody, one of my author friends said that we all kind of write the same stories, like our themes and our work, you know, really come out. And, you know, she says that she's always writing about kind of broken families because she came from one. Uh, and, and I said, well, what's my theme? And she said, your theme is always about leaving a place and then, you know, the sadness and then also the opportunities of a new place. So she did say that my the theme in my books is always about immigration and losing something but also gaining something. And I thought about that and I thought, oh my goodness, Blue Bloods is really about that because, you know, you're kind of, the teenagers kind of discover that they're vampires. You know, they, they think they're human. So part of their journey 
is uh, realizing, you know, that they've lost their humanity, but they've gained this immortality. Um, and, you know, it was inspired by my love of American history because I was an immigrant to this country. I didn't grow up knowing um, American history, so I had to learn it in school. And, uh, and you know, it's just not something that came natural. Like, I just asked my mom a couple I can't remember when, a couple of years ago, and I said, who's the who's the first president of the United States? And she said, um, Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so we don't, you know, we don't know, um, you know, kind of these, these like things that Americans take for granted. Uh, and so I was, I was interested in, I was interested in Mayflower. I read about how a lot of prominent Americans can trace their uh, ancestry back to the Mayflower still, you know, and not just, uh, presidents like the Bushes or the Roosevelt's, but also, uh, celebrities, a lot of different celebrities and artists, uh, including Oprah could trace, uh, her, uh, ancestry to, to somebody on the Mayflower. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's so crazy. And what if, you know, all these people are prominent and rich and famous because they're vampires? <laughs> so that's uh, uh, where some of the inspiration came from. What um, What is it about writing for young readers that appeals to you most? I think I like writing uh, for uh, kids and teens because that time in your life is so open to possibility. You know, it's all about first, it's about the first kiss, first love, first heartbreak, even the first disappointment. You know, with the adult world where you realize um, things are not the way, uh, you know, you kind of thought they would be. You discover life is unfair <laughs> for the first time, um, but also that the world is kind of amazing. And, you know, to keep that kind of open-eyed, you know, wonder is really fun. And to write about that time in people's lives is really fun. I think we really remember, you know, being that age, being a teenager, it was such a huge part you know of shaping who we were i mean i would say like i don't remember what you know 32 was like <laughs> but i remember so clearly what 14 to 18 was like <laughs> what um what led you to become a writer uh i think it was a love of reading uh i'd always been a big reader i i loved reading more than anything and I was kind of the kid who sat, you know, in the corner and read instead of playing or instead of talking to people. And so I wanted to be part of that conversation. And uh, when I was 11 years old, I read an article about the authors who wrote a popular uh, series for teenagers called Sweet Valley High. And they were all around uh, 22 years old. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what if, you know, in 11 years I could be doing what they're doing? And it was really inspiring to learn about these young uh, authors, uh, because until then, I had thought all authors were either 90 years old or dead. <laughs> so <laughs> it was not, you know, <laughs> not something that I knew <laughs> you could do <laughs> as a profession until then. 80 years old in a cabin in Vermont, knocking out the great American novel. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yep. What is the writing process like for you? Do you, do you have like a um, set time? Do you get up nine o'clock and start knocking them out, or? Uh, 
yeah, you know, I mean, I think like now there's so much of um, just trying to focus uh, and there's just so much distractions, you know, on our computer, you know, and you can really just go on a social media, you know, doom scroll or just get lost, you know, clicking on things. Um, so I really try not to do that uh, because I like to write in the morning and that's when, you know, my brain is like kind of the most awake and the most sharp. So I try to work, you know, around 8 a.m. to around 1 p.m., you know, every day and do a lot of my creative work in the morning. And then I do a lot of administrative work. You know, I try not to answer emails until later in the day um, after lunch. So, yeah, that's kind of how I um, structure my days. There's a lot of creativity, uh, you know, waking up, you know, not <laughs> scrolling on the news or Twitter, just, you know, working. Uh, and then having lunch and then having, you know, maybe a little bit of a break uh, then. You um, mentioned that you have another book in the works, a follow-up to, to the book that's out now, Afterlife, and that that will probably kind of wrap it up for this reboot of Blue Blood series unless you come up with an idea. Where do your ideas come from? You know, I think that uh, I was just reading on George R. R. Martin's blog, and he said that uh, he had a friend of his, a writer, who said who answered that question by saying it's Shenactity. <laughs> Where do your ideas come from? Shenactity. <laughs> so um, obviously not Shenactity. I, I think that writers are just kind of open, you know, to the world and curious, um, and it can be something, you know. Uh, you know, a lot of art is inspiring, you know, reading books, like I said, being part of the conversation. I wanted to write about vampires because I loved uh, Stephen King and uh, Anne Rice. Um, but then also just, you know, I would hear anecdotes from friends or just talking to people or reading something, you know, it just sparks an idea. Uh, and mostly what happens is you get an idea that, you know, just keeps on speaking to you. Um there's a book that's coming out from uh, Walt Disney through my studio, and it was an idea for a book that I had for years because a friend of mine said that he lived in a haunted house uh, in a graveyard, and he would tell me about, you know, you know, um, the lights going on and off and, you know, seeing kind of footprints in the bed. He was like, I think they're kid ghosts because they're kind of little and it's, like, mischievous. And, you know, I just thought it was such an interesting story about, you know, living in a in in a graveyard with these kind of happy ghosts and I wanted to write about it um and I ended up finding a great writer to write that story but it was something that had been you know in my mind for you know ever since I met this friend who told me he lived in this house in a cemetery <laughs> what was it about vampires that sucked you in I think vampires are really, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I just saw that pun. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, uh, one of the things that I found was really interesting when I wrote vampire books was uh, after the Bible, the biggest selling book uh, in the world after the Bible is uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. So I thought that was so fascinating that we are so interested in vampires, you know, as, you know, as a culture. 
and I think it's because, you know, they do present, you know, that, that, that question of life and death and immortality and what would you do to live forever? You know, um, would you suck the blood of humans? <laughs> so it's kind of a, a gross <laughs> proposition. Well, but, you it, know, it is when you, when you say it like that, but it's always been pro, uh, portrayed as, as, as so romantic, almost sexual. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Um, it's definitely uh, a metaphor uh, for some kind of sexual, <laughs> uh, you know, act. And, uh, and, and I think that's why it's fun. It's kind of dangerous. You know, it's kind of dangerous. It's edgy. It's sexy. Um, you know, and Dracula, you know, was the first glamorous vampire. I mean, he lived in a castle and he was a count. So he was, you know, um, the aristocracy. And so he had this facade of being this really handsome and, you know, seductive uh, count. But then he was also this aged, you know, scary, blood-sucking monster. <laughs> so I think we're, we're really drawn to that. Um, I think uh, that kind of uh, juxtaposition is really interesting. You know, I was thinking about the, the historic um, characterizations of vampires, and they always had really cool clothes. <laughs> what are the clothes? Absolutely. What are the clothes Fashion. like for your blue bl- your blue bloods? Are they pretty oh, they snappy dressers? Tight. Oh, they are. I mean, they're New Yorkers, you know. Um, and <laughs> that's that's funny. <laughs> they are very fabulous, definitely. <laughs> oh, that's a scream! Well, if you if you close out on blue bloods, what what do you think might be coming uh, down the pike for you, Melissa? Uh, we have a lot of uh, a lot of new uh, books coming out. I've got a bunch of uh, thrillers uh, that I've got coming out next year. Uh, one is called The Headmaster's List, about a group of kids uh, who are part of this elite circle called The Headmaster's List. And then there's a terrible, uh, tragic accident, and we have to find out who's behind it and what The Headmaster's List had to do with it. So that that was fun. <laughs> Oh, I guess that sounds that sounds mm-hmm. great. Um, and is is setting important in these stories? You know, you were talking about uh, you know these blue bloods being New Yorkers, but um, is is where a story is set almost as important as as the story and the characters? Oh, absolutely! I love. Um books with uh you know a very distinct setting and uh and that's one of the things that i always think about when i set my books so headmaster's list is set in los angeles um because i know that city really? quite well and mm-hmm. that's and a little su- I, I live in la <laughs> yeah I, I know i know that you do but that surprises me because that that title makes me immediately think of the northeast Oh yeah, it has that kind of prep school. Yeah, Northeast it's kind of got that, that Ivy League thing mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But set in yeah. Los Angeles, well, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, no, I think setting is a huge, huge factor. Um, you know, you get to visit, uh, you know, these places through the pages. Uh, you know, and again, that goes even goes back to Dracula, you know, visiting that lush Romanian or Transylvanian countryside, <laughs> that Eastern European castle. <laughs> when you're 
picking out a location, um, you know, some some writers like to stick to where they live or or where they grew up, someplace they're very familiar with because they know the urban legends and the landmarks and and all of that. But do do you enjoy sometimes uh, getting out of your comfort zone and picking a location that you have to research a little bit to to place your story there? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we love to travel and we love to discover new places and then write about them. Um, yeah, when I was writing the Blue Blood series, uh, I think each book would have a different cityscape on the cover. So the first book was set in New York. The second book was set in Venice. So we have a little, uh, Rialto bridge, uh, on the cover of the second book. Uh, the third book was set in Rio. So we had, uh, the photo of the the Jesus statue uh, from the city on the on the cover, uh, and then the fourth book was in Paris, and I did a lot of research about Versailles, and I thought that was really interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, so yeah, we really we do enjoy that. We enjoy traveling and discovering something about a city, and then you know, uh, once in a while it makes its way to our work. You know, sometimes it'll make its way in you know, the, the work that we're doing right now, or it will take 10 years, and then we'll write about <laughs> it in some other book. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, Melissa, it is so much fun talking with you, and now it's your turn to tell um, Michael that I said hello. <laughs> <laughs> I will try to do as well as he did. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> Melissa, are, are you guys going to be working on something together in the near future? Uh, you know, we always work together, but whether our names will be on a book together, uh, we don't have anything like that planned yet. So, uh, we, we did it once. <laughs> well, if you, if you do, <laughs> if you do, yeah. you're going to have to come on the show together to talk about Okay, it. sounds good. We will do that. And, and Absolutely. we'll have fun with that. In the meantime, as you know, I always like to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share? Absolutely. I am at melissa-delacruz.com. And on Twitter, I am uh, Melissa Delacruz. And on Instagram, I am author Melissa Delacruz. Well, Melissa Dela Cruz, thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. It's so nice to talk to you and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom. It's great to be here. It was a pleasure. Take care. Uh, more of the Tom Sumner program. <laughs> Is it? Baby, this 
Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health plan. Quiplet Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. 
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. But old Weird Harold and I, old Weird Harold, we called him that because he was 6'9", weighed 50 pounds. We used to use him to get the football out of the sewer. We used to go to every Hiram picture in the world. I'm telling you right now, we would go and we would see Frankenstein. We'd walk a hundred miles to see Frankenstein. And mind you, we never saw the monster once. Never saw him once, because we were too scared to look at him. And we had the best seats in the movie. We used to sit right up front. I mean, right up front. That's where you can see everything. You just look right up front there. And we'd say to each other, you gonna look at the monster this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't lie now. If you're not gonna look at him, say that. You might as well get right on the floor now if you're not gonna look at him. You didn't look at him the last time. Yes, I did. Don't lie. Put it on. Oh, look out. That's where we stayed for 12 days. Used to go home with 100 black juji fruits all on our backs. Yeah. So... My mother, we used to stay over and over and over trying to get to see the monster, but we couldn't do it. We were too scared. And my mother used to come for me. Would you come home? Get up off the floor and come home. You know, and the guys would rise. Hey, cause your mom came for you again. You shut up. So my mother said one day, she said, I'm not coming for you. That's all. You know, you'll come home yourself. Walk on the Ninth Street Bridge in the dark by yourself if you don't know how to come home. Oh, mom, you'll come home for us. So... We were watching this one picture, and it was, it was a heck of a picture. It was one of the, one of the greatest. They, they had uh, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, the Hunchback, the Mummy. Everybody was in it, and Harold and I stayed on that floor. Our eyes were closed all day. We never came up one time for air. Every time there was somebody on that screen, we didn't want to see. The Mummy's in there now. Oh, we don't want to look. We don't want to look. And we sat through about 12 showings of the same picture. You gonna look this time? No, get up off the floor. No, I ain't getting up nowhere. It ain't gonna get me. So, finally, during the cartoon, I got up and I looked around. And I said, hey, Harold, there's nothing here but grown-ups. And Harold said, yeah. Because that's what he always says whenever I'm right. He's my closest friend, you know. I said, ask that man what time it is. Hey, mister! What time is it? It's 10 o'clock. Oh, Harold. Oh, Harold, we're in trouble. 10 o'clock, yeah. 10 o'clock, that's when the monsters come out. And my mom didn't even come for us, man. Well, she said she would, yeah, but she's supposed to come for us, man. She ain't supposed to let us go home at 10 o'clock with all the monsters out of thing. Man. And we walk out of the movie crying, oh, we got out of 10 o'clock. Now, the walk home, Ninth Street Bridge has no lights whatsoever, which is highly, well, it's the only way to get home. And we are sick. You're talking about two scared kids just walking, you know, arm in arm, not even picking our feet up off the ground because we want to be ready. If the monster touches us, we want to be ready to jump straight up to heaven. When you pick one leg up, you take a chance on going sideways. You know, and we got our leg. We're just sending our toes out six feet ahead of us like radar. 
kids coming, kids coming, and I'm telling you, really scared, ready to go any second. And I bumped into Harold. Bump. I said, Harold, did I bump into you? Harold said, no. I said, don't lie to me now, Harold. I said, if I bumped into you, say that I bumped. Even if I didn't bump into you, Harold, say that I bumped into you. Because if I didn't, we're going to get eaten alive. You know that, don't you? Harold said, well, you bumped into me. I said, okay, don't lie anymore. Now, I don't know the name of the wino that came out of the alley that, that uh, emptied onto the Ninth Street Bridge. I don't even care what the guy's name is, man. All I know is that he was wrong. That's all I can say. He was pure D wrong. You just don't walk out of an alley that empties on the Ninth Street Bridge without making some sort of announcement, warning little kids. Look out, little kids, coming home from the Ashton movie after seeing a whole lot of horror monsters. There's just nobody that can hurt you. It's just a little old wino. And he came out. Now, I'm sure while filling out the accident report on this man that the doctor said, what happened? I don't know. It was just four feet, ran right up my chest, danced on my head for a half hour, and then ran straight down my back, doctor. Well, did they say anything? Yes. They said, ah! Did you see them at all? Yes, it was a little kid riding on top of a tall skinny one, and he was beating him with a stick saying, faster, faster, you fool, you fool. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
it's Chinatown or on Riverside. I don't have any reasons. I've left them all behind. I'm in a New York state of trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs>